Welcome to the Dear Beloved Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Jean, founder of the Beloved Collective, and together we will dive deep into relationships, femininity, and the stages leading up to marriage from a Catholic perspective. Here you'll find real conversations rooted in the truth, dispelling the lies found in our culture, and learn practical ways that we can keep Christ at the center of our lives and relationships. Dear Beloved, welcome back. I just want to start off this episode by saying a little word of, you know, being known and seen and loved where you're at. You know, in these days, we feel so, we can feel so disconnected from the world, from people around us, things like that. And for those of us who may experience that, we don't really feel seen uh, or known in every aspect of our lives. Maybe it's just something in particular um, that you are seen and you are known and you are loved in that and through that. Um, maybe not by everyone around you, but by some and especially by our Lord. So I just wanted to start off with that word of encouragement because I know the struggle of being, you know, in something and just not really feeling known and loved in that, um, just not fully known and understood. And so I wanted to make sure that today you know that, um, you know that you are known and that you are seen and that you are loved wherever you're at. So with that, we're going to dive back into Jenny Allen's book, Find Your People. Um, and today we're talking about part two. So we're going to talk about all of this part two. It's kind of long, but um, it's all about the practicals of how we can build and maintain our relationships. And what I love about this part of the book is that it's showing us exactly how to be in a place to be seen, known, and loved, and also how to see, know, and love others. Um, and so that's, I'm really excited to dive into that today because this is kind of the pinnacle of what we're trying to accomplish here with this book study in general. So yes, anyway, so part two of Jenny Allen's book dives into the practicals, like I mentioned, of how to make and to maintain friendships. So it starts off with chapter five. And all of these chapters have uh, like a symbol, a goal, and a barrier that she kind of talks about at the beginning. So I'll mention those and then I'll kind of mention a few of the quotes that really stood out to me from these chapters. And while I kind of summarize a lot of the things that she does talk about, I really do encourage you to read this part of the book because there's a lot of like practical things and also stories that she tells that help kind of um, have these things come full circle that I'm not going to spend all of the time rehashing her stories. Um, so those are really great to read. And also she goes through like practical exercises that we're not going to go through here, but um, I do highly recommend it to read this part of the book for, for those things. Um, so anyway, chapter five is titled Close. So the symbol here that she uses is fire, and it'll be clear why <laughs> later on. And the goal that she's talking about is proximity, right? 
finding people who are close to you in proximity and physical closeness. Um, and a barrier to this is busyness, right? We're all busy and in a world that celebrates busyness, um, it can be really hard to keep and maintain friendships that um, comes in conflict with our busy lifestyle because we need time for friends, right? So she talks about the magic of a fire, right? I said I'd come back to the symbol. She talks about the magic of a fire and how um, gathering at a fire has always been historically um, a really great way that people draw closer to each other. Um, And scientifically, it helps (laughs) that our cortisol levels during the day, which is like a stress hormone, kind of keeps us awake and alive and kind of, um, you know, on to do our work and things like that. Um, So scientifically, our cortisol levels during the day are higher that allow us to um, get our work done, stay focused, etc. And in the evening, they drop. And that doesn't, that all, that helps us to, you know, eventually get tired and need to go to bed. But before that level, it drops to this relaxation state where um, generally, traditionally, that's when uh, fires, you would bring people together. Um, And in this relaxed state, you are no longer stressed about um, the tasks of the day, but instead you're more relaxed and able to share stories, um, just share and be with each other. Um, And so that's why another reason why fires are so amazing and helpful. Um, And she says on page 69, she says, fires bring us together, real life face-to-face, no phones together, which is hard to come across in our (laughs) um, society today for sure. Then she talks about this um, idea of, right, we're trying to uh, work towards proximity, right, in this chapter. So she talks about five friends in five miles. And this is something her and her husband decided to do together um, because she wanted to have friends close by, close enough to walk um, if she needed to, so she didn't feel so alone in her daily life. Um, like she says at the beginning of the book, she had just moved from one place in Texas to another and she still had very strong friends, very strong friendships, but now they lived further apart. And so one of her goals for this new area that she was living in was, you know, so as not to feel so alone in the daily tasks of life, she set out to find five friends in five miles. Um, And she says, proximity is a starting place for intimacy. And I think that that's just so beautiful. Um, And it's true because if you see somebody over and over and over again, doing things in daily life because they live near you or they're the cubicle next to you or, um, you know, whatever the case may be, uh, that you know, the more you see them and the more repetition that happens because of the closeness that you are, that opens up the um, possibility for friendship and for intimacy, um, which is so great. And what I love about um, this part of the book is that she 
uh, goes through some really practical exercises. Some of the chapters she goes through a whole exercise. Some she just gives kind of some ideas. So I wanted to just mention here a couple of ideas that she had for this one um, of closeness and proximity. Of course, you know, she talked about her five friends in five miles and things like that. Um, but a practical exercise to um, create a gathering place and to build an environment to have great conversations. Um, some of these things include buying a fire pit and inviting friends over, um, invite a friend to run errands with you. I love that one because it's just so simple um, and you both have errands to do anyway. Why not do it together? Um, who do you see when you're walking your dog? Talk to them and walk together. Um, that's a great idea. Um, introduce yourself to strangers at the coffee shop and look for everyday things to do with people. Now that's not an exhaustive list and that's not even the whole list that she put in her book, but I just wanted to mention a few of them um, to kind of get your head rolling, um, the ball rolling in your head, I guess I should say better, <laughs> um, uh, to get you know those creative juices flowing so you can come up with some more ideas that's really unique and pertinent to your life. Chapter six, she talks about, um, so the theme of this chapter is safe, um, creating a safe place for friendships to flourish, right, is the goal here. So the symbol that she uses is open doors. Uh, and the goal for that is transparency, um, but a barrier that we commonly come across is pain or shame. Um, so she tells this great story at the beginning, and it's kind of hard to know what she's talking about um like she talks about it without this story so I'm just going to recap a little bit I'm not going to read it but um essentially she had a friend and they were talking about um their friendship it happened to be you know after they had just recorded a podcast about their friendship so they get off the podcast call and they're still talking and um Jenny is asking her you know like what you know while we're on this role, like, what can I do to help be a better friend to you, right? And she's, you know, expecting, like, hey, let's plan a trip to see each other, or let's call each other once every week, or whatever it may be. And, um, you know, something along those lines. Uh, but what she said was really shocking to her. And she replied with, I, I need you to need me. I need to, um, I need you to invite me into these things that you need. And so what she says in the book is that what she needed for me was more of me. And the story continues with how there was kind of some, um, a little bit of like resistance to that, to receiving that. Um, but the fact remains that sometimes what we need from each other is to, to be needed um, right. For example, like I know that it's really hard for me to ask for help for something, right. Even if it's like what I need, like last summer, for example, I broke my leg and I couldn't walk and it was very clear, right. I had a very clear outside physical, uh, handicap that led me not to be able to walk around a grocery store. Right. Um, and things like that. And so, I needed very clear help. And even then, even then when I had this very clear um, 
need for help. It was hard to reach out. Um, and so I can imagine how, and I know how much harder it is when we don't have that physical ailment, right, to, to reach out and say we need help, um, whether it be something as simple as help me go pick up my groceries or can you drive me to church or um, can you make me a meal? Like those are practical, simple things, but it could also look like I need to have a conversation where we can just kind of let it all out. I need somebody to, uh, you know, a shoulder to cry on. I need um, someone to hype me up for something I'm about to do, right? These things are hard to kind of ask for. Um, And the reality is that it's easier to put up walls, right? It's easier um, to put up these walls and not let anyone in. And the reason we hide, there's two reasons why we hide. One is because of pain and vulnerability um, is, is kind of that, that phenomenon of putting yourself out there to the point where you could be hurt. And I always grew up in a very positive, um, with a very positive idea of vulnerability and how it's very important. And fortunately I hadn't, um, quite experienced a lot of pain with it. So I was pretty good at being vulnerable, but everyone has been wounded, right? Everyone has pain and has experienced that. And so vulnerability becomes increasingly hard um, and we increasingly put up walls around us and that's just our response to pain. Um, But what she says in the book on page 96, I love this quote, she says, vulnerability is the soil for intimacy and what waters intimacy is tears. Okay, I love that for a lot of reasons, um, but vulnerability isn't, you know, as as some people, they they have a huge aversion to it, right, of like, oh, heck no, I'm never going to be vulnerable, right? Um, but it's not a weakness. In fact, it's a strength and it's really important for intimacy. And I love that she uses kind of that analogy of um, soil and watering, Um, to have things flourish because have you ever had that experience where, you know, maybe it's not, you know, it's not arguing, but you're having a conversation with a friend and you become very vulnerable and you share something you've been struggling with or, or something and you, you cry together, right? That is such a beautiful moment and, um, that can only, uh, occur and happen if that vulnerability was first present. And so I I just love that quote from her and I find it to be very true in my life and just true in general. Um, The other reason why we hide behind walls is because of shame, right? So there's pain and there's shame and shame is, um, she has this quote, she says, one of the enemy's favorite lies is the lie of shame because the cost of shame is connection. And I just love that. She takes the time in the book to go back to Adam and Eve and um, the fall, right, of uh, the first sin. And she talks about how immediately after the fall, uh, Adam and Eve experienced shame. And so shame is one of the devil's very favorite things to do because 
what happened after the fall. They experienced shame and then they hid. They built up walls um, between them and God, but also between each other, right? They started covering themselves and they started, even from nature, they, they wanted to hide. And so this experience of shame is um, straight from the devil. We know that, right? <laughs> um, it's also, right, I... I I don't want to get too into it because I know there's a lot on shame and vulnerability and things like that. But one of my favorite ways to look at shame is that it's a boundary experience. And John Paul II talks about this in his Theology of the Body, um, that shame can really be a great tool for us. Um, because when we start to experience shame, we know, oops, we've gone too far right? And so I love how he helps us to understand shame as a boundary experience of saying, you know, it's there for our good in the long run. It's not good to feel shame, but if we start to feel shame, we know, hey, wake up, get back on course kind of thing. Um, anyway, I could keep going with that, but I'm not going to. And so vulnerability is really important to overcome shame and pain. Um, it's, you know, pathway to the both of those things but it's also um the antidote to both of those things um and I love this quote that she says and it's a little bit long so hang in there with me but it's really beautiful she says to be fully loved requires being fully known only when we let down our guards and allow ourselves to be known can we get over ourselves and get on with loving people love changes us and changes others Love takes strangers and makes families. Love heals wounds and empty spaces in us that we never dreamed could be filled. God is love, and when we choose to cooperate with him, we get to carry his love to people who are deeply desperate for it. But it all starts with being known. And so I love that because it helps us to see that it's not only to love other people do we have to know them, but we also need to be seen. We also need to be known. Um, and we first and foremost get that from our relationship with God himself. He fully knows us and he fully loves us and accept us, accepts us uh, even in our brokenness. And so from that love, we can uh, love others. Um, but even in the face of another person, right? That's why friendship is a two-way street. It's a reciprocal relationship that we may know and love somebody, but if they're not willing to know and love us, it's not really going to go anywhere. <laughs> um, and I know we've heard something similar to this, or, you know, people say this a lot, hurt people hurt people. Um, but she goes on to this and she says, but equally true is that only forgiven people can truly forgive. And that is so true. And again, she hearkens back to our relationship with God and how he fully knows and loves us and forgives us um, if we come to him and ask for forgiveness. And um, so in that way, we can be healed and we can forgive others. Our strength comes from the Lord. Our Forgiveness comes from the Lord. Our love comes from the Lord. And I just love that she brought all that full circle for us in the book. Um, so how to bring transparency into our lives. This, there's a lot to this, right? Um, there's a lot of things that we can work on to do this. Um, and she kind of comes up with 
this, you know, little bit of a uh, disclaimer, right? Um, that our whole vision, um, I'm sorry, our whole village doesn't need to know everything, right? So all of our friends don't need to be clued in on everything in our lives, but there should be a few vetted people that we do give access to everything that we can be completely honest and open with, um, and share everything with if we want to. So, um, that's kind of her disclaimer that not everyone does need to know, but, um, but definitely, uh, some people. And she quotes C.S. Lewis, um, with his famous, to love is to be vulnerable, um, uh, little nugget. So, um, I just want to read it here. He says, love anything in your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Man, I... That's deep. That's very deep. C.S. Lewis always, you can count on him for um, bringing it full circle for sure and just giving us really vivid uh, ways to see that our actions have consequences. And so if we build so many walls up and we keep our heart all locked away and don't let anyone in, there are consequences to that. Um, And no one wants to be the person who is unlovable and unredeemable. Um, Not that we ever can be in the eyes of the Lord, but in the eyes of other people who are broken as well as us, it can be um, the case. And so that's a great reminder from C.S. Lewis of uh, just how important love and vulnerability is. That was a long time for that one, but building relationships with transparency, some practical ideas from the book. Um, She says, borrow things that you might need from a neighbor instead of ordering on Amazon. Invite your neighbors to watch a movie on a projector in your front yard. Uh, Ask your safe people to meet up for coffee and prepare them that you want to go deeper. And call a friend instead of texting. Again, not a complete list, not even the complete list from her book, but I wanted to add that. Chapter 7 is titled Protected. The symbol is an anvil, which I'm not really sure what that is, but it's okay. Um, Goal is accountability and barrier is pride. Um, I am a huge accountability nerd. (laughs) Um, I took one of those, um, like, tests, like, motivation quiz things, and mine was, like, accountability. Like, it... It's not that I can't, you know, do something because of my own free will, but that it, I am much more <laughs> um, likely to do something if I have accountability, things like that. So anyway, I just love accountability. And she had some really um, amazing quotes on this because this is such a big issue in our culture specifically. Um And so let's just start off with this first quote. She says, at its core, accountability calls us to who we are meant to be. 
through truth mixed with grace. Yet our generation's declaration of personal independence has pushed this away. We resent being challenged in our behavior, but what if that missing element is exactly what we need to feel like our relationships don't run deep? Right? <laughs> Seriously. Um, think about that, right? And then she says, when we are left alone and unbothered, we become the worst version of ourselves. And this this left unchecked kind of mentality has really wreaked havoc on our society. And I have, you know, will always um, argue this point that, you know, we are called to live a certain way um, by virtue of how we were created um, and by who we were created. We were created in a certain way and to live a certain way. And it's not enough to know that and then decide to do something else. Or it's not enough to avoid coming to know that, right? Um, it is proper and our responsibility to understand what that means and to live out the way that we were called to and to help each other on that journey because we are not made to be alone. We're not made to live this life alone. And if we were, you know, living in communities but never checking on each other, um, never calling each other on, that's not, that's not living together in community truly. That's really living alone together. Um, she puts very beautiful words to something I've been mulling over for a long time. And she says, I've noticed a trend that suggests that we must prioritize acceptance and tolerance at all costs, regardless of the decisions people are making, the behaviors they're manifesting, the beliefs they're clinging to, or any of a thousand other things that may be leading them into harm. If we listen to what society tells us, then we will put tolerance at the tip top of the list of requirements to be a good friend. To each their own. Honor your truth. You do you. It's all nonsense. Why? Because the last thing you and I need are friends to do nothing more than co-sign our stupidity. If I'm about to careen off a cliff and you choose to stand there cheering for me, we've got a problem. I don't need acceptance when I'm being a fool. I need help. And so do you. I love that quote so much. Um, but it's so true. It's not only that uh, accountability can help us from making huge, terrible mistakes, but that accountability rightly set up and used in our daily lives should help us before we even get to that point right? Should be constantly calling us to do better, to be better in the daily activities of our lives, not just in big things, not just, you know, in making huge decisions, but in everyday decisions. You know, are we getting outside and having healthy um, relationships and healthy habits and things like that? Like all of these things are what daily accountability can look like that can help us live healthy whole lives and some of the practical things that she mentions in this uh, chapter ab about finding accountability is simply asking people for advice right <laughs> and being open to what they have to say um, and remember that that 
the the barrier to accountability is our own pride, right? And so before we can really, I guess not before, but something to think about before we ask for honest opinions and advice, that we need to be open to receiving them and to action if necessary to change something, right? So going back into the practical ways for finding accountability, ask people for advice, and that also necessitates that you're open to receiving it and open to changing something if that is the advice that's given. Remember that your what your friends tell you. Pray for them, pray for their situations, etc. Um, do an overnight retreat with friends that you're getting close to. That can really help. I love um, <laughs> retreats and things that... Uh, you know, experiences that you're kind of living every aspect of your day with somebody, it really helps to bring people closer. Um, give a few trusted people permission to call you out. Um, and then I love this one too. Um, make some friends with some older uh, people who are a couple of steps ahead of you um, and ask them to show you how to handle a situation, right? Go to somebody um, who you trust and who is wise and, and ask them um, how they would handle a situation so as to help you become wise and um, and keep you accountable in that, uh, wherever you're at in that season. Chapter eight is titled Deep. The uh, symbol is a shovel, right? We're digging to go deep. Um, the goal is to have a shared purpose. This is one of the ways we can go really deep with somebody is to live out a purpose or a mission together with them. Um, but the barrier to this is shallow or small talk, right? I hate small talk. I don't know if you do too, but it just seems like in this day and age, that's kind of the norm slash the bottom <laughs> instead of really the opportunity to go deeper. And the ways that we can go deeper is to share in a mission with somebody, to invite them into a mission, to um, join them on a mission, and there, there you have something to talk about that goes deeper than small talk. Um, so going deep is oftentimes one of the things that is missing from our lives. Um, and how can we, you know, some of the deepest and, and most personal things to us is uh, our mission and our passions, right? And um, I love this quote that she has on page 152. It says, anywhere can become a place to carry your mission and anyone can become teammates. I just love that because um, you never know who you're going to find who really matches with a passion or has a similar uh, mission as you and we can so often be so caught up in our own mission or our own passions that we we don't stop to look up and look around us and see who else is walking that path with us um, but we know from the gospels that Jesus sent out his disciples two by two um, and he always blessed those who would um go out with others and share missions with each other. And so I think that's a great thing to um, work on, to look up and around and um, see who's walking next to you, right? And and see how you can join your missions and passions together. Um, this other quote that she has, it's not, I mean, 
it's in this chapter, it's pertinent to what she's talking about. Um, but it's pertinent to uh, everything in this book. And she says, friends won't fall from the sky. Friends are always made. Um, and we know that friends don't survive on small talk. Acquaintances barely survive on small talk. So friends, if you want to be friends, move from acquaintance to friends, you need to go deeper. Um, and a lot of times people think, you know, um, not people think, people do, right? You, you know, you're talking, you're using small talk to kind of come up with something that is a similar interest, right? Um, common ground, right? And that usually is something that you're passionate about. Um, it could be, it could not be, right? It could be like, I don't know, you have common ground that you broke your leg, you're both on crutches right now, but you know, that's not really something you're passionate about. But a lot of the things that can be common ground are things that are passionate about, right? So maybe um, add some of your passions and your missions into some of your small talk discussion topics. <laughs> um, ask somebody what they're passionate about. Ask somebody um, that and maybe they'll ask you the same thing and you can bond over that. Right, that's a really great practical way to move from small talk into um, a deeper conversation. Um, and I, I also love this quote that she has on page 154. She says, alone we want to escape or to cope, but in community we help each other do hard things. And I think that's so beautiful because we, you know, with small talk and people who aren't very deep friends, we're not going to want to help them through their struggle, or you're not going to invite them to help you through your struggle. It's only through deeper friends that that happens. And so when we have hard things come up, which everyone will at some point, we want to have those friends close to us. So we have to do the work on the front end, um, the consistent end of building those friendships so that you can have that, um, at some point <laughs> for when you need them to help you get through the hard things. So some practical ways to pursue a mission together from the book, she says, join a club or volunteer, go to a fun workout class, plan a supper club with your neighbors, cook through a cookbook together. I thought that was interesting and fun. Um, paint someone's room, clean out a closet or plant some flowers together. Um, again, it's not the full list. It's not even the full list from her book, but, um, if you want to learn more, check out, um, chapter eight in her book. Chapter nine is, uh, entitled committed. Um, the symbol she uses for this one is a table. The goal is consistency and the barrier is conflict. So one of the barriers to, um, consistency is in friendship is conflict. We all know that, right? Um, but she has this kind of really cool twist on it, something that I didn't really, like I hadn't really thought about a lot before she mentioned it in her book, but she says, conflict is a part of healthy relationships. And I think that's, it's true. I just never really put those words to it. Um, but again, she has a disclaimer here that uh, she's talking about conflict in the right context, because of course there can be conflict um, in the wrong context, whether it be, you know, because of 
extreme hurt or extreme, you know, pain, right? Hurt people hurt people. So um, things like that, like it can easily be toxic or uh, unhealthy. However, <laughs> generally in healthy relationships, conflict is going to be there. Um, and the thing about conflict is that if it resolves well and you work through it in a healthy way, it can actually deepen a friendship, which kind of seems, you know, crazy. But if you think about it, when conflict enters a situation, enters a relationship, think about it in this way. There's only going to be two options that result out of that conflict. Either there will be a rift in the relationship. It will end, it will break, or it will be really hard to get over that rift. Or on the flip side, that uh, your when your conflict is resolved, that um, you'll be closer, right? Very rarely, if ever, does conflict enter a situation and it stay the same. Generally, not. <laughs> Generally, it's either creates a rift or um, creates even more closeness, um, which is a good thing if you know how to uh, handle it well, right? Um, she says also she starts, so, so she, the symbol for this one is a table, right? And so she says people constantly and regularly um, come together around food. And that's so true, right? Um, so she uses uh, the table to um, really have the analogy of coming together around food um, and and, and you see this in a family, especially, um, when, you know, you do eat all together at a table a lot of the times and in families, there's lots of conflict, right? People don't see eye to eye on something or, um, someone wronged someone else and there's just conflict in the house, but still they have to eat <laughs> and they have to be fed and they have to, um, you know, survive in that way. So they come together around a table. Um, and so, that is something that is just always there. Um, and I love when that she says this in the book. She says, conflict is safe when you know you won't quit each other, but we must agree not to quit, right? So there, there's, a, there's a place where you can be comfortable even having conflict with somebody, but that place in lies that the safety that you know you won't walk away right? Like I said, there's two options that come out of conflict, either that there will be a rift and that the relationship will change dramatically or end, um, or you'll be closer. And so when you know for certain that you won't quit each other, you won't let that happen, then you know it will, it will only make you closer. And bringing this full circle with um, marriage and a relationship in, in marriage, that when you say those vows and you get married, you are bound to each other for forever, right? And so you know for certain there is no quitting that relationship. So you can look at that as conflict because you know you can't like quit each other, that it will only make you closer. Um, so going into conflict with that mentality is super helpful. Um, super helpful. 
because as you know, conflict is not always fun <laughs> and, um, there can be a lot of pain and suffering that comes with that. Um, but if we have a really good, clear understanding of how we can come out, out of it better on the other end, it can help us get through it even better. She has some practical advice here for how to help us live a little bit more, um, open with each other and, and stay consistent and committed to each other. Um, and so she, she always says, assume the best, right? Um, and I love that she brings this kind of analogy in. she says, we are satisfied in our relationship with God so that we can be content with people being people. We can let them disappoint us and just let it go. I love that so much because so often if we keep our our happiness and our contentedness in the hands of other people, like how they treat us and how, you know, we're, we're driving with them or whatever. Um, it really gives them the, uh, permission, I guess, to also hurt you. And so when conflict comes or something is just unsettling, um, we can, you know, feel really unsettled ourselves. But if we are satisfied in our relationship with God, then we can let people just be people and we can understand that they uh, are broken as we are and we can rest in our assuredness in God and um, allow them to work through it themselves, right? So always assume the best when there's conflict um, or if, you know, before even conflict happens, like when there's a situation and you hear something or something like that, always assume the best. Um, the second thing she says is keep short accounts, meaning don't run uh, like a tab of each other's faults, right? Don't keep, you know, a notebook with all these things or even in your head um, to bring up when something happens or whatever. Um, just kind of have forgiven and then forget, right? That kind of idea. Um, the third thing she says is be quick to apologize. So she's saying, you know, in, in these moments of conflict where someone comes to you and says, you hurt me. Um, and she says in that moment to take the responsibility for hurting them, even if you didn't mean to, right? Apologize and, and even, you know, explain that it, it didn't mean to, and it, but I still am sorry that it happened. Um, and, and I'll fix it for next time, right? Um, because sometimes we do hurt people unintentionally, um, and we want to not blame them for, you know, feeling, um, hurt for no reason, because there was a reason, even if we didn't mean for it to happen. Um, and the fourth thing she says is aim to be a peacemaker. So for example, she says, if you think someone might be upset at you, right? Instead of like gossiping about it or telling somebody like, Hey, I think this is weird. Um, pick up your phone and call or text them, right? Just ask if you're okay, right? Simple, easy. Don't get other people involved. Just be the peacemaker there. Um, and I love this quote. It's kind of long, but, um, I'm going to read it to you. She says, if you think about it, friendship, all relationships really is a great inconvenience, at least if we're doing it right. And the inconvenience chosen again and again changes us, wakes us up, makes us laugh and love and hope and dream. Yeah, interwining my life with other people is inconvenient, but all take 
but I'll take that kind of trouble again and again over the ease and emptiness of trying it alone. To leave behind our loneliness and enjoy the reward of community, we have to keep showing up, keep being vulnerable, keep coming to the table, be together, work together, and share life together over and over again. Then one day we look up and realize our friendships have grown deep. I love that because it's it's just showing us the um, the two options, right? Either don't give keep consistent and and be lonely or do it even if it's hard and when it's hard um, for the good of the friendship and the good of you and the good of your friend right Um, also in this chapter there's a little bit of psychological research and and you know in it she explains that psychological research suggests that it takes about 50 hours um, logged with somebody Uh, to move from acquaintance to a casual friend and about 90 hours to move from a casual friend to a friend and more than about 200 hours to qualify as a best friend, right? Um, And then she says about this, she says, I'm convinced a key reason for our loneliness is that we give up too easily. (sighs) Yes. From that psychological research, it tells us that it takes a long time to make friends, a long time. And if you're spending 90 hours with somebody, you are going to find things that you have conflict with, right? Um, and so we want to avoid the temptation of quitting each other, of saying, nope, this is not worth my time. Um, because the end result of that will be that we're lonely all the time. <laughs> um, so friendships take a lot of work, but again, it, it's so worth it for so many reasons, right? And we went over all of those reasons at the beginning, um, the beginning of the book, she mentions the reason why we need friends and community, um, and things like that. So then she talks about practical ways to embrace the inconvenience in friendship. She said, reach out to a friend who is pulling away from you and or God uh, or isolating themselves. Um, Ask your friend to pray together with you. Uh, Let go of minor offenses and truly move on. This is very difficult, (laughs) but very important. Um, And then she says, don't gossip when you have been wronged. That's a huge one. Keep it between you and somebody. Um, Address it or not, but forgive and forget. Um, That's the key to uh, consistent uh, friendship and just consistently showing up um, and not quitting each other because we all want that, right? We all want those friendships who will stand the test of time and you have this mutual understanding that you're not going to quit each other if, if something is hard or um, there is a conflict, but instead that it'll only make you uh, stronger and closer together as friends in the long run. Um, So that is all of part two. It was a lot. (laughs) And so I hope that all made sense to you. Uh, Like I mentioned at the very beginning, I do encourage you to read this book, especially this part, um, because there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. And um, it's been really great to read and reread um, and to try to implement these things in my own life um, because these things are so pertinent to our lives today because we are so isolated and we are so alone as a culture 
and we really do need these friendships. So I encourage you to read it and, uh, yeah, I can't wait to finish up the book, uh, next week, um, with you guys and talk about how we can stay consistent in our friendships and not, um, let them just fall by the wayside. So thanks for joining me until next time. Thanks for tuning into the Dear Beloved podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or many on social media and leave a rating and review. And don't forget to follow along at the Beloved Collective on Instagram and YouTube. That's Beloved spelled B-L-V-E-D. 